Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I ask artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week is George Clark of the band Deaf Heaven. They have a brand new record that comes out August 20th called Infinite Granite, which you can pre-order over on their web store. And they also have a U.S. tour that they just announced, which is also on sale. Subscribers to the Patreon were able to ask George a couple questions, and you can hear those answers now on a bonus episode if you are subscribed. If this kind of activity excites you, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. A lot of fun stuff going on over there. It's hard to put it into words. All right, let's give a shout to the sponsor. Rootless Coffee Company is a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high-end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars. Collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more, Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off their order using the code HARDTIMES at checkout when they visit rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time. Break free from boring. All right, here is my conversation with George Clark. Enjoy. George, how are you? It's nice to see you today. I'm well. Good to see you on this beautiful Thursday. How weird was that rain this morning? Did you catch that? Yes, I did. Um, And I was sad that we didn't get more, to be honest with you. Uh, It happened right before I left the house. And I looked up, and the the sky was crystal clear blue. It's so strange. But also, to be fair, we've had very cloudy heat wave. It's been very suffocating. So I'm glad that whatever was hanging up there, you know, came down a little bit. It was bizarre. Like we all, I looked at my uh, weather this morning, the weather app this morning, and it, and it was like super warm already this morning. And just it said like ten o'clock, ninety percent chance of rain, and then the rest of the day was like ninety five. <laughs> I'm like, this makes no sense. And then uh, I was like, this clearly this is a, a mess up. And then it happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and here, over here, it was maybe two minutes. Right. And 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 oh, I essentially felt like hail. It was, like, it was really hard, and I yeah, thought for a moment pushing. that it, yeah, I thought for a moment that it was hail. Um, yeah, it doesn't bode well. I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's a bad indicator for something. Yeah, uh, uh, people would sometimes call this. The older generation may call this earthquake weather. I don't know if it's you've heard that. Earthquake weather. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. No one in our uh, age group says earth- No one in our age group says earthquake weather. This is a thing that parents say. It's because what's going to happen is whatever the weather is on the next time we have a devastating earthquake, that will be our generation's earthquake weather. So if right. if it's a really beautiful sunny 75 and L.A. cracks in two, we're going to be terrified <laughs> to live here forever. Um, that's probably what happened in like 94 or whatever. Four, yeah. I'm sure it was, it was warm and cloudy. Where were you? Oh, this is a fun. Were you, did you feel the 94 earthquake? Were, were you up north? I was I was at this point. However, I was I was in an LA earthquake, maybe ninety two. Um, mm. We lived in Mar Vista, and I remember hiding under the bed. 
Do you and Elliot, have you ever talked about that? Because that's Elliot's stomping grounds, Marvista. Really? No, no, we haven't. I was really young. Um, I, I hardly have any memories from it. Uh, we lived in a, um, a two-story apartment complex. I had a tricycle stolen, a big wheel. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know, that, it's, you it's, so when you think harrowing. of Marvista. I never, yeah. I never went back to Marvista after that. Yeah, I was what if, something. <laughs> what if it was Elliot? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. There's a reason why we've never really gotten along. Yeah, sure. You know, sure. I, no, I always look at him like a really shadowy character. I don't know why. <laughs> it's 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 always been inexplicable. <laughs> uh, so I, I feel like I, since we've been friends, I've always uh, correlated the band at least with with Modesto. Correct? Like that's the yeah. That's the that's like the start. Would you would you say you're from Modesto if you were just like to give a quick answer? No, I wouldn't. Um, but <laughs> to be fair, I've always just said California. I've lived sure. in so many places. Modesto is forever going to be an important place in my life. But I only lived there for five years, mm. um, which is interesting. It just so happened to be extremely formidable five years. Um, and, uh, and it's when, uh, I met Carrie and, and we kind of started this musical journey, but, uh, no, usually I just say California, it's bad or Northern California because we hopped around a ton. Um, but you know, Modesto too, why not? Modesto sure. pride 209, you know, it's nice. <laughs> it's nice up there. Um, I forget, do you have siblings or are you an only child? I have a younger brother. You yeah. have a younger brother? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. If, how, how close in age are you? We are six and a half years apart. Okay. He is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's a, he's, he's a good guy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I never, <laughs> but I, I just, I, I feel like I didn't know that, but I, cause what I usually ask musicians first is like what the first music they connected with was, but I'm curious if there was like an older brother, like showing you the way sort of situation or if it was you on your, on your own f- figuring it out. Yeah, um, that's like, that's it's um, it's interesting. I did not have an older sibling. My mom was younger, so and this kind of played a, a big part in my life. Um, so she had me very shortly after her twentieth birthday, and was very into uh, culture as as a young person in the late eighties, early nineties. So I was born in eighty eight. Um, and and she was extremely into uh, Nirvana, and um, we had like she she was very cool. Um, she is very cool, uh, and she was very into like Lollapalooza culture. And so we had. Um, you know, I grew up on like Radiohead and Nirvana and Pearl Jam, a ton of Pearl Jam. Um, and also like Duran Duran stuff like that, um, and and kind of like even like early memories of like you know Smith songs and things. And I think that that really shaped uh, my musical taste, of course. Um, and but like even I'll, I'll say for an example, um, one of the first records that I got into like on my very own. I was in fourth grade was Offspring's Americana. And like, <laughs> I loved Americana, right? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, and, um, but my mom had Ixnay on the Ombre, 
You know, okay. like, like, like we already had those records in our house. By the time Americana had come out, she was like, this isn't for me. And right. I was like, this is totally for me. Um, uh, and, and, and then from there, I kind of went on my own steps with like, um, with like heavier stuff like corn and Deftones and things. Um, but yeah, like, you know, she's, she, you know, like I remember having a sitter and her going to see like Incubus. Nice. You know, when I was in like fifth, sixth grade or something. Um, true, so true rocker of, mom. Yeah, that's sick. She's a rocker mom, yeah. And there was always kind of like a, I guess, a, a connection uh, between her and I that way. Um, and that, yeah, so not a, not a sibling, but a parent, which is, which I think is kind of unique. I don't know. It's yeah, definitely. Like, you know, uh, something that comes up a lot on the show is is sort of the pushback that you have on your parents' music that you might then come around to later when you're older, where you're like, okay, this stuff actually is good kind of a thing. But it's cool when you have the young mom where you're like, oh no, I'm actually vibing with like, I would have probably been into this too. Had I turned on MTV or turned on K rock or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's how we really connected. I think, I I mean, she used to, my mom is very into lyrics and um, we would lay down, in front of the the home stereo and just read lyric books. Um, I remember OK Computer especially. I just like I read that book tons, tons, um, and uh, super unknown too. In fact, uh, just a few years ago, we went to the um, uh, my mom and I went to see Soundgarden and Nine Inch Nails at the Bowl. You know, it was Aww. like a yeah, so for us, it's it's very much a, a it's a thing that kind of brings us together, which is nice. But um, yeah, yeah, that had to have been kind of a funny experience too. Considering was that the tour that Cold Cave opened? Yes, yes, yeah. it was. So I have yeah, to. So that's, I mean, how wild of a situation! It's like you know, you're going there with your mom. I mean, obviously, your mom is aware that uh, you're a musician that travels the world and has all these cool experiences and stuff. But like, it's kind of cool to go with your mom to see Soundgarden and be like, oh yeah, my friend's opening the show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't even know if, if what, like we, we were, we had definitely met. I don't know how close we were for me. It was, it was, de- but it was definitely this like, like, you know, I know this guy, you know, yeah. like, like, oh, like, you know, right. like one, one small step closer to like the big time or, or right, however, right. Uh, however your parents typically think about like music and the music business and things like that. Totally. I mean, I feel like that's something we could even just kind of get into it now because it's a it's kind of a funny conversation. And I'm not sure you and I have, have had it. Uh, but possibly we have. But like, you know, our two bands have sort of had luck in a lane that not many bands in our world do where we're, we've been fortunate to play some of the festivals that typically don't include bands like ours, like a little bit heavier, yeah. more aggressive and, and, and whatnot. I think Deaf Heaven is, has gotten probably the most out of, out of all of us. Maybe you guys are like off or something or fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, I, but it's funny. Do you remember um, the first time that Deaf Heaven got on a fest maybe, or maybe it was something like that, that like say people that you went to high school with were like, oh shit. George is doing shit, you know, like for instance, like when we got on Coachella, that was like the first time that I think people from high school were like, Oh wow, Jeremy's doing something, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, no, absolutely. You know, it's funny. In fact, speaking of Coachella in particular, because, because for, for, for people in your family, for people you went to school with, like that really is the marker. It's not necessarily 
even other festivals of a similar caliber. You know, like no one texted me when we got like Primavera or when we were doing Governor's Ball in New York, which which for me, I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is huge. Or even like Bonnaroo. But when we did Coachella, yeah, oh, like everyone that you went to like middle school with and, and beyond is like, like, happy to hear things are doing good, man. You <laughs> right. know? Um, uh, which is which is really sweet. Um, and even for my own parents who should by this point have a better barometer <laughs> of like what, you know, quote, <laughs> success is. Um, yeah. They were they were very uh, they were very impressed um, and, and very uh very excited, my, my mom in particular. Uh, like I said, she loves going to concerts and things, so um, it, it's always very exciting for her to see our name really, really tiny <laughs> next to, like, Jack White, who's just massive. <laughs> right, uh, yeah. That's cool, yeah. I've always, I, I've always made this joke where I say, like, the, the TA, like, you, you know, what you could write on our gravestone one day, our tombstone one day could be, like, playing Sunday at noon on the hip festival. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, that's, that's the thing too. Like here, you know, you're the token heavy band and yes. whatever. And, and it's an honor to be chosen and, and it's cool. Cause there are a lot of us out there and, and I'm sure everyone um, would be happy to have a uh, spot on a festival like that. But yes, you end up playing 12 or 12. It's either, mm-hmm. It's either you're right when people are getting through the gate or you're the deadliner. And for, and for a great example of Coachella, we played it. It was, it was two acts playing. It was us and Calvin Harris with Rihanna um, on, on the main stage. And I was at like 11.30 p.m., you know. And it was us and Death Grips on the smaller tent stage. And we were all of us kind of in the back area, just like, like, what the fuck are we doing here? This is just, I mean, there is like, like, God bless them. There's like a thousand, maybe 2000. If I'm, if I'm being optimistic, uh, drunk people standing against the gate, waiting for us to do our 30 minute set. We gotta, we gotta give it, give it our all while there's yeah. like the most pumping EDM, <laughs> you know, the most pumping EDM right outside the tent. Uh, we yeah we've we've faced that a couple times. Those situations are really funny. I think the I think the one that stands out to me there's been, well there's been two but one similar to what you were just describing where um, it was when we played Primavera where we had a you know like a two thirty in the morning set and uh, and I remember just being like wow it's kind of like I mean for a festival that is as big as that I remember being like wow it's kind of a lot of walking room right now like where, <laughs> wonder where everybody is then I remember was like. Oh guys, I walked uh I walked half a mile that way and um th- the entire festival's watching the arcade fire right now. <laughs> just <laughs> just so you know. So but we start in, we start in 15 minutes. This is this will be tight. Um so that was one and then uh but then the worst of all was we played that um but I have to call it the full name every time just cuz I would need to solidify the festival, but it's it was the, <laughs> the, the Budweiser Presents Made in America Festival. I love have you this. done that one? Have you done I, that one? I haven't. I, I know, but when you were doing this, I was getting I was getting lots of information about it. I was, I was, <laughs> it sounded it sounded really apt. Yeah. Yeah. This this stage we played was was literally just it was like basically in front of the walkway to get to the main stage. So we were just entertainment for people passing by, 
and it, and I remember like as we're like about to start looking to my left and seeing the main stage and just watching like a sea of thousands and thousands of people all waving their hands and losing their mind to uh DJ Khaled literally just playing y'all gonna make me lose my mind <laughs> like just on his laptop and I was like yeah here we go this, here this, we go this is what yeah. this is what we're here for thank you for the opportunity <laughs> you know, it's uh, Thank yeah, you, Budweiser. We'll, yeah, or we'll, we'll yeah, uh, uh, what was it? It was Bonnaroo. We were playing um, next to Ice Cube, who was playing. And you could hear, you know, <laughs> the massive stage very loud and clear. And for me, it's like, I would, I would just rather go there. Like, right. I want to I stop the show and be like, you guys don't really care about this, do you? <laughs> like, just... <laughs> Like, if we can have a quiet moment to keep it real, like, would it be okay if I went and saw Ice Cube? Because right. this is sort of difficult anyway. <laughs> there's, like, like if I'm going to be generous again, there's probably 600 of you here. I love you guys, you know? It's nothing against you, but, you know. Anyway, that, like, that's, that, that'll be next time. Yeah, or you're like, yeah. can we all be in agreement that some of you had to make the decision between Deaf Heaven and Ice Cube, and maybe you're <laughs> thinking maybe Ice Cube was the better choice, so maybe we could just be quiet and enjoy it together. I'm going to help you out right now. <laughs> I'm going to do you a solid. And, and, and just so you're aware, uh, I'll probably be back like three more times this year. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Provided, pro, pro, provided the radius clause hasn't ruined uh, my entire schedule. True, true, true. <laughs> um, so uh, do you, I'm assuming you were going to concerts with your mom probably at a young age. What was, uh, what was the first concert you remember going to? No, to be honest with you, we did not. Um, I, the, I, I mean, like the, we, we went to like fairgrounds and things like that. Um, so like I saw some rendition of like Beach Boys, you know, when I was very young. I actually saw Ray Charles um, when I was very young. He played in Bakersfield, another uh, place that I lived for a while. And but um, where in Bakersfield? She, uh, was it a, was like it like a, a fairground? Like a fairground? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. And actually. Um, she did buy me my my ticket to my first concert uh, that I went with a friend. Um, we were twelve years old, twelve maybe. He was thirteen. I was I was I was always like younger in my in my grade. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he may have been thirteen. And we went to the Centennial Gardens, which is now called the Rabobank Arena, and we saw Pantera, Slayer, Static X, and Morbid Angel. And my mom bought me that ticket. Uh, and in fact, uh, under, I had to be picked up by like 10.15. That was the deal. So Pantera, I think, was only like three songs in or something. And I remember we were like, man. <sighs> but, uh, but it was, uh, looking back, very cool mom thing to do, I think. Uh, what? And, and very much shaped my trajectory thereafter. Do you remember what year that was? Because I think I saw that tour here in L.A. Because I saw Slayer wasn't on it, but it was Pantera, Morbid Angel, Soulfly? Scrape did our one. Okay. I was going to say, maybe it might have been Nothing Face. That might have oh, okay. been. A, yeah. I wonder if that's Sick. the same tour, just like different, different days on it or something. Yeah. The, it was called the Extreme Steel Tour. 
maybe they did like two legs and yeah. like because like if they did an LA version, certainly Bakersfield would have been like the B market, like secondary tour, you know, where they like take some of the bands or or, or however that that makes sense to me. Scrape, scrape with a K. Yeah, uh, Tone- toenail man. album cover. Real, oh, real, yes. r- real rough album cover. <laughs> See, I like that we we can we can get down about this because not not many people would know about something so deep as scrape. Yeah, uh, the, there's uh, like there, with, <laughs> with, with with the amount of like new metal resurgence of people being like, yeah, man, I like System of a Down. It's like, no, no, no. But do you know scrape with yeah, a K? Yeah, yeah. Did you go to the scrape dry kill logic tour? Because <laughs> something tells me if you didn't, <laughs> we can't really be having this conversation. You know, you're not really at the level that I need you to be. <laughs> uh, oh, but, but Scrape, I remember this. This is so weird. I remember this. T- this is so clear is that the singer after every song said, thank you very goddamn much. It was <laughs> and it sticks with me for some reason. I mean, like it had to have. Right. Because I never saw them again. I never owned the record. But he'd always be like, thank you very goddamn much. <laughs> After like this, after like the four songs they were allowed to play, you know, like first of yeah. five. Yeah. Um, you know. You anyway, know what this, remind, I, I, this, what this reminds me of that I want uh, if you're if you're comfortable talking about because I think it's such a charming story is um is I remember one of the best things ever was when you when Def Heaven did the Lamb of God tour that uh, was uh-huh, it Randy uh-huh. Blythe that sort of like uh, kind of like made you understand it uh it's okay to just call the audience motherfuckers just you know like the metal yeah, talk yeah <laughs> yes yes man um i love that guy uh randy rules he uh for that tour kind of saved us in a way for one he rode for us very hard because we were definitely the odd men out and uh, secondly, yeah, he he saw the struggle <laughs> and was like, was like, dude, I love you, man. Um, you, this is what you need to do if you're going to survive this tour because our audience is going to eat you alive. And by the end of it, man, I was, I, th- I think I was owning it. You know, yeah, I was, that's yeah, what I, I was heard. Calling, the more the more punishment you give them, the more they love you. Right. So everyone's a motherfucker or like like what's up motherfuckers for deaf heaven yeah like like how you doing like how you fucking doing tonight you know like this like like where'd that voice come from this guy means business all of a sudden maybe 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 i was wrong about these guys yeah that's the idea right it's just it's the funniest part is that the idea is to prove to people that you are not what they exactly think you are <laughs> it's so good. Like, like, and are probably right about. Yes, you know, yes, like this guy who sits around reading books and fucking doesn't do anything. Like, yeah, well, there is something to be said about that, I guess. Sure. Um, so, so you have to, you have to prove them, you have to prove them wrong, even though you know, uh, they're probably that, correct. That's one of that's one of my favorite stories. I remember when I heard that, just being like, oh yeah, they love to be called motherfucker, man. They do. <laughs> like, they do. It 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 has been sage advice and. And I've implemented it tons of places afterward, like sure. festivals, you know? Yeah. Regionally being like, being like, okay, yeah, I, I'm sure the South would, would appreciate South this. South loves it. South <laughs> yeah. loves it. Midwest, they love it. Yeah. They want more yeah. of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and they like to give it too. Sure. You know, um, this is a very new metal thing. Um, the, 
the middle finger endearment, you know, the, uh, like the, like the, we're flipping you off because we like you. Right. You know, cause yeah. it's like a fuck, it's like a fuck the world with us together. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. when when we were doing, we did that that short Slipknot tour, and and I thought it was going to be this kind of like meat headed, like people were like throwing trash at us the whole time, and it wasn't at all. It was just a sea of like kind of misfit younger people all flipping us off in this like grand motion of like positivity. It was the <laughs> It's amazing to see, yeah. you know, like, like it's like some real Ozfest shit, <laughs> you know, like true. It's, it, it's incredible, which I, which I, I was never old enough to go to. So I can, I can only, <sighs> I can only see it in videos, the yeah. sea of middle fingers, you know, yeah. flipping off down, you know, I love this <laughs> <Right>. stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 I definitely, uh, I, I, I definitely saw, uh, Pantera at, um, Ozfest, the second one because I went to I got to go to two and it's funny but uh, my first two girlfriends I got at Ozfest like the I met my first girlfriend at Ozfest I met my That's second so girlfriend sick. at the second Ozfest yeah <laughs> which is which is something yeah. I've never I've never really shared with anybody before but it's a fu- it's a I'm funny so thing. glad you shared it yeah, yeah. The, the first time the first time I got to I got to kiss using my tongue was during Black Sabbath it was wow. pretty cool and then the second year it was during Pantera <laughs> which wow. Is, <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So there's something I'm sharing with you, man. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna be that open with with each other, the first time I tongue kissed was behind a dumpster at a movie theater, but like actually in the dumpster area. <laughs> Super not as cool. <laughs> what movie were you seeing, or was it just by chance you were there? It was traveling. Um, it was the it was the traveling pants of the Yaya yeah, yeah sisterhood. Not what I expected. The answer to that question to me. Yeah, well, you know, you know, we're on a date, I guess. Hell yeah. You ladies, man. Um, Yeah, but like hiding from the cars, you know, in the parking lot. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, it's sad. cooler than dumpster. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you, I I don't know if I know this, but did you ever try playing an instrument? Like, do you, or do you play guitar or anything like that? Yeah, that's a funny thing. Uh, (laughs) I guess I loosely do. Yeah. Yeah. I know my way around it. Um, I kind of loosely play guitar and piano. Um, yeah, I, I, I got my first guitar in middle school. God, this is such like a, a, a metal conversation. I had, um, I got the BC Rich Guitar Center uh, beginner's pack. And I don't know if, if people remember this, but it came with a 15-watt red BC Rich practice amp Whoa. And and the the warlock like the the real standard edition warlock, but Very I had the widow's. Was it like was it like dime bag Daryl's on like the box? No, 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 no. It was um, it was like a like Carrie King's like 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 the okay. old Slayer guitars. Um, okay. and it had the it had the widow's head, and I remember, uh, Steve Tucker from Morbid Angel. His bass was, um. It wasn't the Warlock. It was, it was the BC Rich Beast. And I was like, this is the sickest guitar I've ever seen. And Warlock was like second best. And it came with this whole like beginner's pack. I think literally it's like 150 bucks or something. It's amazing. Um, and I don't know if they still offer it, but uh, I had that. And I learned, um, 
uh, I learned like Crazy Train, you know, and and I kind of I start yeah. I started on this path, and and it never really developed because mostly because um, at that time other friends were already playing and what people needed was a singer for you know for their band and like I could kind of I've yelled into like pillows and stuff like that so like why not like I'll I'll, I'll do this you know and, and that, I, I kind of like fell into it uh I think probably because I was the only one like willing to be like screaming in like a 104 degree valley summer um but it it worked out the way it did yeah so, I, so I would that have been play. in would that have been in Modesto or it's still that would have been in Bakersfield, yeah, yeah, which I lived just prior uh, to moving to Modesto. Okay, and did so was your what was your first band then? <laughs> um, my first God, uh, my friend Miguel and I, he had a drum set, which was so vital, you know, not only to know a drummer, but a drummer that actually had like a fullish kit. Sure. You know, that was like kind of put together. Yeah. Uh, which very much this was. And um, we were called Misanthrope. And, uh, and we played, I think, I think we, we got through like half of a cover and maybe wrote like two originals that we played for maybe four friends uh, after school one day, which was cool and yeah. like really warm, you know, just yeah. very hot and awful. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I didn't start like actual bands until, or bands that like played legitimate shows and stuff until I was like 15, uh, like okay. a sophomore in high school. And then that's like, that's when I got into like shows as being like my main source of, um, uh, social interaction. Uh, do you remember the first show you played? Was it like a party? Was it like an actual like kind of venue or oh talent God. show? I'm trying to, uh, the very, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it was at a church. Man, that's crazy to think about. Um, yes, so in the Central Valley, and I'm sure uh, uh, Los Angeles had quite a bit of this as well, all ages venues were few and far between, and so churches often picked up the slack if not like VW halls or um, things that were kind of uh, like Masonic related or whatever. Um, so in Modesto, especially almost all of the venues were related in some capacity to, to the church. And my first show was at the rock church. Literally it was called that. Um, and uh, it was on just, they just had the, it was on the floor. It was carpeted. Very small PA, uh, <laughs> horseshoe audience, you know, and yep. and in the back they offered nachos and um, and Coca Cola to like Coke cans to bands, and they were like in ice chests, and you'd go back there, and there was someone would literally pour cheese over the chips, and you'd sit on these like um, these these like picnic tables that they had set up. And that's where you hung out. And then if you wanted to, like, go see the bands, you went into, like, the front room. But that was, like, the big backstage area. Uh, and it was awesome. Yeah. Sounds like kind of cooler writer food than uh, a lot of places. I, I, would, I, would, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how mad people would be getting someone serving you nachos and a can of Coke. Sounds kind of cool. I'll say, I'll, I'll say this. If, if anyone in Modesto had any kind of idea about, like, Europe 
or right. European touring, you know, at yeah. all. Like every place in there would have like punk stew because because they were really great about taking care of bands. Like, I mean, for them, it was taking care of kids, you know, mm-hmm. which it was. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, there was a huge, especially that church, the rock church, huge emphasis on community and taking care of each other and, and, and the emphasis on all ages and, and this sort of thing. So yeah, uh, I think for, for what they had, they, they did all right. But, uh, you do know, you remember, yeah, I, I, do you remember much about that show? Like, were you scared? Were you nervous? Were you excited? Did it, did it go as planned? Yeah. Terrified for sure. Um, and from what I remember, it did go as planned as it could have. I'm sure it was an awful mess, but I like all of our friends were there. What I remember mostly from it, <laughs> funny enough, are the photos because like every like cool kid of which there were very few or and by a cool, I mean people that were into the same things that you were into um, was there, you know, and they all had. Uh, they all had like really shitty sidekicks or, or, um, or like those, those like, like six pixel camera, uh, digital cameras. Yes, exactly, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Um, and so like, I remember all of the photos very clearly. And I remember like people standing very far apart from each other and taking them and us just having like a mile of room in, in front of us. And and I am I am wearing um, I'm wearing a Bauhaus T-shirt, but it's like it's like an of the time newer Hot Topic edition side print, you know. So it's not super cool at yeah. all. Yeah. In fact, it's super uncool. Right. And, I, and like it's like it's like you know when people like get a leather jacket, but they get like the they get the other leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like. Like, like, oh, like, oh, you got that leather jacket. Like, yeah, that's not yeah. the kind of leather jacket you're supposed to wear. You wear this leather jacket. Yeah. You know, you get, not you, like this. Yeah. yeah like the, when the person gets like the, uh, the dad at the board meeting leather jacket. The not Sopranos the, jacket. Right. Yeah. The, the soft leather. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 That's the Bauhaus shirt that I had. <laughs> I had the other Bauhaus shirt. So while it's like, while it's kind of cool, it's also extremely not cool. True, true. I love it. I love it. Um, and was that, that wasn't Misanthrope. What band was that? Or was it? No, that band was called, um, and man, you can, you know exactly the kind of music we played. It was called Fear and Faith Alike. It was, okay. um, it was very. Like Trust was, Kill Records-y sort of. Oh, extremely, extremely. Like, um, yeah, very OC, very, yeah. very Orange County. Um, um we all like loved we like many people in Orange County loved like AFI and stuff like that. So we kind of like a, adopted both of these things where where we were we're kind of into this like Bay Area dark um dark thing, but but and and that that to us shared properties with this like Orange County thing that was happening and you know, we were seeing like misfits tattoos and things like that. You know, all these like kind of Indicators of um of like the dark uh, like punk scene which we had were more into at that time as well like death rock and stuff um so yeah it was it was just it was metalcore um and it was that's like all of Modesto you know was just that was it that was like the jam I mean like every every suburb you know uh, 
yes, we, it was it was everywhere, literally everywhere. everywhere. And, and you, you know, it's funny. Uh, I I think about this. I think about scale and size of bands quite often, like of different times. You know, because like because you can't equate like record sales or, or anything like so much. Um, like marketing is totally different. It's so much. Um, so much of it is in an online space now. I mean, if not all it, of it entirely. <laughs> yeah. Um, that like, it's, it's really, it's interesting to think about bands like bleeding through or even like the, the smaller ones say like a band like barrier dead or something who had these kind of nationwide, like hot topic campaigns. Like I, these t-shirts and things were in every suburb across the nation. Um, and that's why it all reached us. And that's why we weren't getting like city music necessarily. We were getting like what was being marketed and, and who was making the deals with like these major corporations while also playing like chain reaction. Right. Like not a big venue. And, yeah. and, and like that, I think about like that darkest hour video at chain reaction. I remember thinking that, that like chain must've been huge because like, it's a. It looks like a rowdy, sold-out show, and this is the same band whose T-shirt I see. There's five of them in a row on the wall in this hot topic. Yeah. Um, anyway, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent, no, but it's no, interesting no, to think about. It. Like, because like like the work was totally different back then, and they really did a fantastic job getting like like labels like Ferret and Trustkill um, and Victory getting like those bands in those spaces so heavily when they were really probably not playing big rooms or anything, you know? Uh, yeah. I have God, it's funny. Yeah. I haven't thought about that. Like, cause when I think of that era, yeah, I'm with you. I think of seeing these bands at chain. Um, they rarely ever played LA, you know, like these, these tours never really came up to LA cause there's really never been a place for them at that time. I mean, I remember, the only time I ever saw like Poison the Well up in LA was always when they were supporting metal tours. Like I saw them with like fucking Cryptopsy, you know, like yeah, stuff like, yeah, like yeah. weird stuff like that or seeing 18 visions with origin where you're just like, weird. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like when they, when they, I can't even tell you where they would have played in LA, especially because um, tr- the Troubadour used to host some of those shows. Like I remember seeing Converge there and cave in there mm-hmm. and between the buried and me there and, whatever but then strife did a reunion show there in the early-ish mid-2000s and it was so violent that the troubadour said we're not doing hardcore shows anymore <laughs> like it was, that was it that was it and then the whiskey the whiskey used to actually now that i'm thinking about it it was the whiskey the whiskey did all of the hardcore shows but then there were, but then there was a big riot at a terror show and then that ended that so then they wow. stopped doing that so it was like there was really yeah it's like there's really nowhere really to go it's interesting to think about um was Carrie in that band with you yet? Or had you met Carrie, this one that you played this uh, church with? Yeah, no, he was not. Um, but Carrie and I were friends at the time. And I'm sure he was probably at the show. Um, okay. He, so Carrie was always more, I had gone into like metal, because I had started out in metal, metal core and like melodic you know, death metal, whatever you want to call it, because all those bands were really just like being like at the gates ish. Um, that all made sense to me. And he came from like a punk world. Uh, so we had a bit of like diverging tastes and I met these people just by going to shows and, and, and things like that. And then him and I ended up going to different high schools. 
uh, and he was more in the punks, and I was more with like these, you know, uh, side print wearing. Side, yeah, kind of seamy <laughs> metal people, yeah, yeah. Um, and because the other thing was, I was, I was, I was always like the youngest, um, and so they had cars and they were cool and they were going to like other suburbs for shows, <laughs> you know, like like not quite the city, uh, but but you could get out of town. And um, and I kind of linked up with those people for a while, but no, Carrie and I were always close, um, and we started playing together I think when we were like 18 so it was like a few years is that the rise of Caligula band it is I guess and and then so I guess like 17 yeah okay um and yeah yeah 17 18 um and yeah and then and at that point our tastes had kind of like really come together and we're we're very we're we were very in sync with one another and um and yeah then we had that project and then so on and so forth um yeah I wanted to ask that, did, what uh the band you were speaking of just a moment ago um did did that band record or I'm curious like what your first recording experience was yeah yeah we did we did we did um god uh you could probably find a song on YouTube or something um we did we recorded actually. Uh, the release that we recorded was the first time that we recorded with Jack Shirley, uh, which was which was very cool. And wait, um, the the band that played that first show or the Rise of Caligula band? The Rise of Caligula. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Oh wait, no, the first band. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, oh, I mean, like, um, well, I guess I'm guess I'm curious. Oh, which which was oh. your which band was the first to ever record? Yeah, the, uh, Rise, Rise. Yeah, um, the the the. The church band, <laughs> the church band, the first band, the the one that I was in when I was fifteen, um, we did a recording at a guy's house in a garage. I remember it was sweltering hot, and we had it up on our MySpace, and it was to like play shows, but I it, nothing beyond that. And we sure. may have burned CDs. Yeah, uh, was it like a just like a four track situation, or was it like a, the guy had some stuff? No, he had stuff, but. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Uh, it was like even thinking back on it now, it's probably hilarious what how we did it. Yeah, um, and it's, what I mean, was those used. Things, those things are funny to think about. I mean, I know it's so long ago at this point. It's sometimes hard to remember all of the aspects, but I mean, there's something about um, your first time having to track vocals like yelling. You know what I'm saying? Where, yeah. where it's like it's it's a whole other ball game. Where you're just it's like, terrible. oh my god, you're like, well, my voice is shot, and I've been doing this for. A minute and a half. Yeah, you have no idea what you're doing. You blow out instantly. And, and like, the valley is so hot. I can't stress this enough. Because it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like these garages theme. will, yeah, they'll get to, like, 110 degrees. Like, no joke. And so you're in there and, you know, like, dude has taped up, like, egg crates on the inside of the, of the garage. You know, nothing's doing anything. And you're <laughs> just beet red, just sweating your ass off. And, like... You can't get it right, and you're having like pause. <laughs> you gotta like tell them like you need a minute, and it's like embarrassing. And people are like, "Come on, you got it!" Like the like it it still happens actually occasionally where if anyone is in the control room, they'll be like, "Hey man, you got it. Hey, you're good. Like, let's keep this going." You know, and you're like, "You're like, will you just go home?" <laughs> like, 
Like, uh, like, like, this is hard sometimes. Here's a fun question. Here's a fun question for you. Here's a, here's a real fucking uh, vocal, vocal person question. Um, do you prefer having your bandmates present when you're doing vocals, or do you prefer them not there? Absolutely, they need to leave. They have to go. <laughs> I didn't know which they, way that answer was going to go. Yeah, like, absolutely. No, they have to leave. They have to leave. <laughs> they have to leave. They, they rarely will. The thing that in part draws us to extreme music, like in part what did when we were like 10 or 15 or however, is this is is it still exists, which is like it's kind of funny or it's like it's just crazy. Like you're you're attracted to the extremity of it. You know, like there's like 20 percent of them that wants to like hear what the song sounds like with with the vocal on it. But really what they want to do is see someone like scream their head off because it's intense to watch as well. You know, like seeing someone in a booth Um, and like often, like especially when we're first getting into it after the first um, couple run throughs, when we when we cut, I'll hear like laughing. You know, like everyone's like like roaring in the control room. They're like, "This is so sick. <laughs> this is so sick, dude. Keep this up." You know, and you're like, you're "Like, man, I, I like I I appreciate it, but come on." Yeah, uh, yeah. Carrie especially. Carrie will. Carrie. Well, that was a Carrie I, impression. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or ship. Yeah, they're both just like, "Oh, dude." Um, but, but, but. Then again, um, it happens every record where Carrie, um, usually Carrie, will come through with like a very helpful idea or see me through a part that I'm finding difficult. That's um, what I was going to ask. Like if you need if it's helpful for you to have someone either because, look, we're we front bands because likely we need some sort of uh, some sort of praise. So uh, it's sometimes <laughs> ni- it's some it's sometimes nice to have the person be like, yeah, that was great. Like, yeah, keep it up. Yeah, it's good. But what's what's sometimes hard is when the, when you hear the 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 control room and you just hear like a conversation happening in the back where like they're uh, not paying attention. And you're just like, oh, my God. Oh, my yeah, God. Oh, yeah. Like, was that was that all right? Or, or yeah. Was that OK? There's been a couple times. And it's all like, like we can do this because, because we love each other and we've been working together for such a long time, you know, we're, we're like, but there's been a couple of times where well, they'll be like, like, is that it? <gasps> like, are you, are you not doing more? Are you not doing more on that part? And I'll be like, nah, I think, I think that's all I really need. Like, is there any way we can do more? Oh like, my God. Like, I, I don't, I don't think so, man. Which is an interesting anyway. conversation with your band specifically because y'all have like fucking twelve minute songs and then your you know your vo- your your vocals are like you know about what fourteen percent of the song sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm picking and choosing my battles. Right. That's what I say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like you don't you don't that. want me over the you don't want me over the whole thing. No, and yeah. that, that's very I'll rare. This, I, I'll ruin this pretty part, Carrie. I'll you ruin just this let song. Me. And actually, and actually, that's a conversation that we've had. Um, and yeah. like as especially with stuff that was on ordinary as we expand into these like different genres, there have been multiple times where I've been like, I feel though I appreciate the juxtaposition in what we're trying to do, that the harsh vocal over this is kind of souring this really beautiful thing that you guys have taken a lot of time on and they never agree. They are always like, they're like, no, like 
part of the this sauce with you is, in mind because yeah part <laughs> of the sauce is you on it you know like it's weird you yeah. know i'll be like well and, and weird is cool but, but i, I like, definitely feel that i know. i've i've backed myself into a corner a couple times where we're when we're writing i'm like oh this part's really cool and then i have the the panic mode where i go the fuck am i gonna do over this i just yes. i shouldn't do anything over this and then yes. that becomes the conversation yes this was uh uh this this was a this idea was a major catalyst for our new record and why we kind of decided to make some different decisions on this album um, was because I didn't want to be confronted with that idea anymore. I didn't want to be like, like I am the odd man out here. Like, like this feels not congruent. Um, but anyway, but, but, but going back quickly, uh, mostly it's very positive uh, when the guys are around and, and more often than not, uh, one of them at some point will come up with, um, a solution to an issue that I'm having in the booth, um, whether it's having a lyric agree with a melody or, or, or just simply not knowing what to do rhythmically or, you know, one of these issues and Carrie will kind of work it out with me. It's good. Um, uh, the last I'll, I'll touch on the, the bands before the band before death heaven was, uh, the, the rise of Caligula band. Um, I saw you guys put out a couple records, like a, I'm assuming maybe like an EP and, and a record or something like that on a, on a label called one eight seven records. How, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I know that probably was like a regional label. I looked at the, at some of the releases and I remember like Dr. Acula and I remember, uh, yes, there one, yeah. there, there was another one, but it's like very like that kind of area I remember. Mm. And, um, I was just curious how that came your way and like what, um, like, was it like, I don't know, dealing with dealing with a label for the first time in your life, like what you took away from that. Very interesting. Um, uh, and, and such a strange, it's, it's strange to think about because you're so novice um, at a certain point that it's hard to even remember what I might have been like at that time. Like just extremely ignorant. Like if, if I went back to the MySpace messages, which, Definitely, all of our business was conducted through there. Same. Um, it probably looks really silly, um, but the reason for that initially was we were very into this aggressive grindcore and this kind of new wave of really like like nasty like Circle of Dead Children, like Debello recordings. You know, like that. Like when when that was getting really big and bands like Ed Gein and like kind of like experimental, grindy, weird pig destroyer, red cord, this, this whole thing. We loved this stuff. Dude, and I forgot about DeBello recordings. Oh yeah, my God. It, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I like, think, I think they put out destroyer, destroyer. Does that sound familiar they did. to you? Yeah, they did destroyer, yeah. destroyer. They did uh see you next Tuesday. Like this whole kind of like yeah. spastic. If you wanted to be kind, like Charles Bronson influence, kind of like grindcore, death core type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it got, some of it got a little left field yeah. to where I, where I was like, this isn't really my jam, but like, but the real like nasty, like the um, circle of dead children, leaning circle stuff. of dead children. I mean, I mean, that was, that was our like, man, God, Carrie had like the sickest circle of dead, uh, I always dead wanted one of their shirt. shirts just because I wanted cause it's like an offensive, it's just, like it's just yeah. so sick <laughs> yeah. that, uh, uh, that one, that one EP, the exotic sense of decay. 
That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. So it's like that whole time. Um, and, and anyway, so that was, that was, I guess that was, that was sort of the mode we were in. And 187 was kind of doing that, I guess. I couldn't even tell you how we got in contact. I'm sure they were like, these songs are cool. Do you want to make a CD? And right. we were like, yeah. And we printed CDs, which we got some of. And I think when Death Heaven first launched, or maybe when we signed to Death Wish, because no one, we were kind of purposely uh, mysterious, I guess, for a bit. But when we had signed to Death Wish and more information had come out about us, 187 had reached out to congratulate us. And I think that was the last time I had kept in any, it was like two guys. I, yeah. I wish I, I, I don't want to be offensive. I, I wish I knew more um, or could remember more about the operation. But yeah, it was, it was very much in a mid-2000s MySpace-oriented that type of thing, regional, totally. suburban, online. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I can I can relate to that into a degree where like the band I was in at the time, I remember just you know getting hit up by a label, being like, "Hey, we want to make your we want to put out your CD," and you're just like, "Okay, okay, yeah, here's like, the songs, okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah." Are they oh, going to yeah, be shrink wrapped? <laughs> yes, literally, and I think like I'm sure I guess they own it, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, sorry guys. Yeah, <laughs> I totally don't own it. You can have it. <laughs> totally totally um, um yeah yeah it was, it was cool did that band uh did that band tour at all did you guys ever try to do like a weekend warrior or did you ever go you know come down Abs- to la no no we did we did we we this is maybe we've talked about this maybe we haven't talked about this but we played with you a very long time ago in in victorville california and it was a vfw hall and it was us, Rise, and Thriller. Yeah. And this band called like Burn Everything or something <laughs> like Sounds- this, who was freshly on Metal Blade through a subsidiary that the singer of Unearth owned. Oh, I think whoa. this is it. This yeah. is, I know, I know, right? This yeah. history is deep. Something to that effect. He got us on the show, and we okay. drove down and we played it. And I, I, I saw you play. Yeah. Oh my I, God. I must have been eighteen, maybe. I want to know. Every, it's. I, I'm going to be honest with you. Before this interview, I googled your band name and the word Thriller, and just being like, "Did we play together? Like, did we, we ever had play to together? Have, like, did we? Ha- we had to have." And there you go. That's incredible. Because because and I rem- I remember this. God, this is so weird. Because I remember, because you like would stand, you just, like stood on your amp. Is this I'm something sure. I, I broke every guitar I've ever had? I you're was like a, you're like spastic I a, guitarist. I was a I would I would much rather throw my guitar across the room and have it break in half than play correctly. Super that was, sick. I was yeah. I was that guy. This is what I remember. And then years later, when I was living in San Francisco, and. My friend Brandon was visiting, and we were talking about Dead Horse. And I remember being like, the singer of this band was in another band. I swear to you. Like, this guy looks too familiar. I swear to you. And then, of course, like, like, like putting it together in, in some time. But anyway, just very funny. Yeah. The yeah. world is shockingly small. And, totally. And when you're dealing with, like, 
these suburban tour routes of which that's what they were. So Rise did tour, but we only toured and like, like we skipped every city you know you could play <laughs> like Albuquerque, like, no, you know, like Las Cruces, like that's where we were, you know, like this kind of thing. Um, I, this, I was literally just talking about this with, uh, fuck it. Who was it? Um, I forget who it was. It was someone just very, very recently where it's like, yeah, you, <laughs> you'd look at the tour route and you're like, like, oh, shit, you're going up to Oregon? Where are you playing in Portland? You're like, nah, fool, Medford. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Or, dude, we we thought that we were, I God, oh, my God. Okay, we were, we think that we were going to go to Seattle. We went to Richland, Washington. This is like the that's Tri... Where the, that's where the singer of Thriller was from. Literally the Tri-Cities. Really? Yes, the Tri-Cities. There area. you go. The, see, see, all this makes sense. And when you're in that world... Like like breaking out of the like the ceiling of that world feels at times impossible. I remember yes. that. I remember being like, being like, we want to fucking play the pound, you know? Like we want to play like like this, which is a venue in San, an old venue in San Francisco for those unfamiliar. Like we want to play the city, you know? You could never play the city in bands like that unless you're like selling reason. tickets. Unless you're like paying unless, to play. Yes, unless, unless of course, yes, yeah, that that would be the um, that would be the uh, exemption, and and uh, and especially in Modesto, where rarely a known band would come through, but if they did, they would play this place called uh, the Fat Cat, hmm. and it would be like the Misfits, and you'd have to you'd have and, you know it'd be like it'd be like great with like graves, and you'd have to you know, sell like a hundred tickets and there you'd just be like at school, you know, like, like the same shit as like selling fucking candy bars to go on a field trip, you know, it's yeah. just like absurd. And the whole little, that whole little market works that way. It's, I was, it's just, I remember, it's unfortunate. I remember being so fascinated because a, a band pre thriller opened up for, we sold tickets to open for converge at the whiskey and so there tight. was three locals that we're all selling tickets. I remember we had to sell 150 tickets to do that show. And the bands before us had to sell like each a hundred or something like that. So I'm like, the whiskey is not that big. This is like when you're talking about like thinking about things from that area, you're like that right out of the gate, the locals are selling 375 tickets. <laughs> you're doing to the whiskey, so much work, which is like, which is then you're like, how many tickets are actually available to converge fans? For this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is strange. Like, you'd rather have all these, like, high school kids that came for the opener instead of actual tickets for the headliner? Isn't that weird to think about? Of course. It's it's super weird. And you're thinking of it as, like... Like, like you've now become little like contractors. Like yeah. you're, you're like, you're like a subcontract of the promoter going out and doing like literally doing the footwork for them. Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, it's, it's like how they probably hit their guarantee. They're like, well, I got the opener selling tickets, so they'll definitely get the guarantee. It is that it is. Yeah. It's just the worst way to do it. Totally. It's a way to do it. You know, do I believe that guarantee should be honored? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but like, like, my God. Uh, yeah, it's either that or like, like Donnie Brooks style taking someone to an ATM. I, I used to hear about those stories too. Like, like the lawless days of hardcore, you know, uh, oh yeah, uh, those... maybe, maybe promoters were just terrified. Maybe they were like, we just, we have to get these kids to sell tickets or else yeah. like someone's going to like beat us with a bat. Yeah. Someone's <laughs> going to dunk us in the toilet until we, until we pay them correctly. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
so uh i mean yeah we can move we can move to deaf heaven um but uh you know i i've i don't know if ever, we've ever like talked like on into a microphone about it but you know like i have such a, a beautiful memory of of two instances one of the the story of um getting the demo from from your band mysteriously you mentioned the mysterious nature of deaf heaven but uh touche had played in san francisco with envy and uh after the show i was like putting the merch together like uh organizing the merch before we left and i was like where this cassette come from and i was like (laughs) no one had any idea where this cassette had come from and it was a deaf heaven cassette and i was like interesting and i and i and i put it in my backpack and whatever and then sometime shortly after that trey at death wish said hey have you heard of this band called Death Heaven, and I was like, "No, I'm unfamiliar." And he sent me like a maybe it was Bandcamp. The Bandcamp exists. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, then yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was definitely Bandcamp. <clears throat> and I was like, "Wait a minute, this is the same band." Holy shit! And then you know, and then I saw that you you guys were playing with Nails or something like that. So Trey and I are like talking, trying to be like, "Who is this band?" There's no photos of them. Like, what's their deal? And Trey was like, Trey at Deathwish was like instantly obsessed with you guys. Like he was like, "This is the coolest band I've ever heard." And then. Then we all of a sudden end up on the show together, which was in Southern California. Uh, it was uh, mm-hmm. it was Joyce Manor's record release show. So yeah, it was Joyce Manor, us, you guys uh, at this venue called the Blacktop, and uh, and we always say, you know, for for the story, it's it's um, it's so funny because again, none of us had ever seen what you guys were looking like looking like, and I remember us talking amongst ourselves, being like, "This fan is going to open, and it's either going to be these like burly forty year olds." <laughs> Or it's going to be, like, handsome young kids. And then the door opened, and it was you. And we were like, handsome young kids, okay. <laughs> All right, there it is. That makes sense. And, uh, and, I, and I remember Bassett had, a, uh, had the, the Blink-182 signature guitar. And we're like, this band's, <laughs> yeah. a, this band's a riot, and I don't understand it, but I'm down as fuck. <laughs> and uh, the friendship formed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, man... That show, it's crazy that we all did that show. It really is like a legendary show. Um, was it was it Bell Gardens? Uh, yeah, exactly. And yeah. Recently, uh, you know, it's an unfortunate circumstance how I ended up with the record. But so Joyce Manor had a record release show version of of the record that night because it was the record release show and it was their self, yeah. the first record. Have you seen what the cover looked like? Because it comes with an OB strip that lists all of the bands on the show. No, no, I've never seen that. Yeah, hold tight. I'll I show it to you. We're on yeah, Zoom, yeah. so deal with, deal with this, uh, because <laughs> the record's literally six feet from behind me. One second. Can you see that? Oh, my God, yes. So cool. Yeah, and, and I was going to say that earlier, but Low Places played. Yeah, um, Low Places who, who, in a band called who, Dynasty. And then Dynasty, yeah. But, I, yeah, I, I very, God, I very much remember this. Um, that's so cool. Out of, Hand numbered out of 50. It's not even like 100. That's out of 50, which is crazy. But I got, um, this was, uh, this belonged to Chris Avis. So after he uh, uh. had passed away, his sister got in touch with uh, with some of his friends and was like, hey, we'd love to have his records go to people that, uh, no, actually, to, uh, an even crazier thing is that uh, Chris Avis literally wrote, uh, they found a letter that said, in the case of my passing, here, who's, here is who gets first dibs on my records. And, and me and a couple friends were like towards the top. So we went, we went out there and went through his records. And when I saw that he owned this, cause I didn't, I would, I was like so excited to get to like actually own this record release. That's so cool, man. Yeah. It's a great story too. Um, yeah. I mean, cherish the hell out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that's, that's incredible. Um, it, it's always so interesting too, 
seeing these things in hindsight, what becomes a very important event, you know? Um, not only did we play that show, I remember, uh, I remember showing Andrew Rice, who, uh, shout out Andy Rice, um, <laughs> who was our agent at the time, who I remember showing him Roads to Judah, um, which had maybe wasn't even mastered, uh, very fresh and being really nervous and, uh, and him being like, Oh, this is great. You know, but like the first song violet on that song has like this long intro and I was sitting in the, in his like car next to him and I was like, Oh, it's it's a long intro and it's going to, it's going to pick up here. And this over explaining, you know, I mean, maybe I think I was like, what, 22 or something. And in my head, like booking agent was so pro and like big. I remember thinking like, if this guy doesn't like this CD, like we're fucked. You know, like, like, like this is, this is like, like everything is feeling so important anyway. So, so that show, I, I, those are the two things I think about. I think about that idea of us showing new music to someone that we're in business with and how like new and like, like, like invigorating that felt and, and then playing with you guys and, and seeing how like. And then that relationship just growing immensely. Uh, yeah. So an important show for, for lots of reasons. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, it's, it's one of the coolest, like whenever I, that lineup comes up in like, you know, with some sort of, uh, anniversary or something like that. I'm always just like, man, what a cool, what a cool event that happens. Um, so your first time recording with uh, Jack Shirley was with the old band, which which is interesting because you had to have clicked pretty well considering you ended up going to Jack for almost the rest of your career up until recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was very impactful. Um, not only the experience, but just him as a person. Um, yeah, for for Rise, I mean, we we really wanted to do the record with him because we knew that he did analog recordings, and um, and we wanted it to be to tape, and we wanted it to be kind of raw, and we were into Camadre, and we were big Loma Prieta fans, and um, and then like that whole world, like Funeral Diner and and Yafet Kodo and and that whole kind of thing. Um, which we were super into. We were like, this is the kind of sound we should have for us. Like, we should have this sound, but with, like, beefier music, you know? Like, more metallic grindcore, but with this um, warm punk analog thing that that this guy, Jack Shirley, is yeah. is great at. Um, and... Um, and so we did. Uh, and and it was, it was cool. Um, and he has always been such uh an important part of i guess he was an important part of that band sure but um of of this band and my own musical kind of like upbringing um i have to imagine he's always kind of felt probably almost like a like a additional member of the band at this point right i mean he's been there with you guys for each one of those records he even did some am i wrong he did some work on the new record was it like pre-pro? yeah he did yeah yeah we yeah, we, yeah we spent two weeks at his studio um yeah. and he he did all the all the drums and and basic tracking all like the initial guitars and and the bass okay um yeah he was with us for for quite a while um yeah 
yeah, it just, it just, it always works out. We feel we we're very trusting of him. Um, I think that his opinions are extremely valid and he comes from a different school of thought than we do a lot of the time, not always, but, but often he'll have an idea or know of a recording technique of a band that maybe we don't listen to as much that like really helps us out. Um, and, and I just, I just respect him just a ton. I don't know. I, I think that's really what it comes down to is that he's very easy and we have a lot of respect for him and to sometimes I think deal with the magnitude of the songs or like the length of the songs or where the songs are going or how they evolve and how they shape and stuff. We need someone there that we really have a lot of admiration for. Otherwise it's going to kind of fall apart. You know what I mean? So yeah, he's kind of, he feels like that for me, like this kind of has always kept things in check or like, like reminds like if we're like, is this too much? You know, he'll be like, no, this is cool. You know, and we'll be like, okay, cool. And I don't have to question it. Um, Anyway, yeah, right. it's great. Um, when I was looking back at the discography and really just thinking about your band over this, over this time, like, did you, did the band ever feel like you were having a hard time um, finding a place to belong during the Roads to Judah record? Like, because I remember that was a time where, like, you played Sound and Fury, for example, or, like, you played, like obviously you played our show too. It's like, you know, you're, you're playing this certain kind of music that is quite different than stuff that you're kind of in the peripheral of like being on death wish and things like that. It's like, you know, you were leaning more metal than stuff that you were, uh, affiliated with label wise and things like that. Like, um, and then obviously when sunbather comes out, the whole everything change, you know, everything kind of changes because you get the you get press behind and, and things just kind of like grow in, in a really exciting way. Um, but do you remember much about the era of Roads to Judah um, that I don't know that stand out to you? Um, any memories of that, of trying to find your place? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's 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 been um for better or worse, it's been a theme of our band for sure. Um, Roads to Judah was no different. It, we, we knew that the music we were playing was niche to a degree that there wouldn't be many bands that were playing like exactly what we were doing that we could, we could jam with. So, so we kind of knew off the, off the bat, like we would have to expand our horizon and, and, and also plainly we listened to a lot of different stuff. So, so nothing ever felt awkward. We were always just like, Oh yeah, I like that band. Let's play with that band. You know? Sure. In fact, yeah. we always tried to imagine that our position was an advantageous one where it wasn't, we don't have a home. It's, we can be in everyone's home, you know, like we can do shows with, um, like a band like Lake of Blood uh, from from down here who was like an atmospheric black metal thing who who in our early days we played with quite a bit and in a band like Touche. For us, um, even, even Sound and Fury, which is uh, at this point just like hilarious lore for our band, um, even that at the time we felt like... Um, we felt like we were cool because we were different. Yeah. And, and we were, 
and we were willing to do and try things that other people weren't, and we were willing to um, be like an atmospheric black metal band that signs to a label like Deathwish because it's unexpected and because it's it's not in line with how you're supposed to go, and that's interesting to us. And yeah. also, it's an opportunity to be bigger or for not to be, I don't want to say it like that necessarily, though that's what it is, but an opportunity for more people to hear your music. So were we to have chosen initially for the Roads to Judah era um, uh, a niche, more black metal focused record label, um, it would have been like lost in the shuffle almost. It would have gotten lost in the shuffle. I do. I do think that. Yeah. I, I think, I think we would have, I think what's, what has helped set us apart is that we are always kind of looking a little bit outside the box to, to find a place where we can comfortably hang with other people, you know? Yeah, I get that. Do you, this is a, this might be, um, my worst journalistic question that I've ever asked somebody. So strap in. <laughs> Um, do you feel like, do you remember at all thinking when you guys were making Sunbather that it was something special? I know it's kind of a generic question, but like, when did, when did it become a reality that like, oh shit, this is, this is going to be different for us? Yeah. It's interesting for two reasons. One, admittedly, I always feel like in the moment we are creating something greater than we've than whatever we've made previously. It's, I don't know. That's exciting to feel that way every time. Yeah. I I think it is. I think it's necessary. I think if I don't feel that way or if the band doesn't feel that way, we won't create. I think it's very necessary for us to feel though we recognize that it's subjective, that anything new that we're doing is putting us in a space that we've, that is elevating us from the space we were inhabiting before. Right. So, so the same was definitely happening in Sunbather. Um, not only because we always feel that way, but because we had really gained our chops on the road for Roads. Um, for Roads to Judah, we did a ton of touring. Um, we became much better players. We had a better understanding of our own music, if that makes sense. Um, we stepped into who we were like we we became kind of who we were in a way supposed to become you know after after learning the lessons that we had learned from Rose to Judah both in how to operate a band and how how to write music so there there was a sense of like invigoration and Trey came out for the recording session and I remember his reaction solidified this kind of bubbling internal feeling of like, I don't know, it, not, not, not a feeling of like, this is going to be huge, right. a feeling of this is cool. When you have that, that, that weird ping of like, whoa, like this is something that we haven't done before or like this is something that maybe I haven't heard anywhere before. And, you, and, like, that excitement that comes with that, it was a lot of that feeling. Um, That's exciting. Like, I know you're talking about, like, especially as a vocalist in a band where you're yes. not the music maker, where all of a sudden you hear the music your guys are making, and you're like, 
wow, I didn't think I could be in a band like could be this like could be this. Yes, and you know? I've and I've always to, I've always told the guys this. I've always been like a blessing for me is that I in part get to be a spectator to what you're making. You know, like I am in a way divorced from it. Like I'm our biggest fan a lot of the time. In fact, when we finish records, they while they will typically step away from the listening process, I dive in. I don't know Same. if you're like this, but when Same. it's I, yeah, I listen obsessively. Yeah. Like to the master. It's almost how I learn the song in a yeah. weird way. Even though we've been writing it over like a year, like, and I'm, I like, I, <laughs> this is so, I'm not trying to be arrogant here. It's more of just like, this is, this is the thing that I get my biggest sense of pride from. And it is like, when I listen to it, I think like, wow, like something, we've really done something here, at least for this moment. And maybe it's not the most important thing in the world. Of course it's not. But, like, I'm, I'm shocked almost by, like, what these guys have done, you know? And I can, I can, I can enjoy it as a listener now. Yeah. Uh, where, yeah, where they're like, you know, I'm going to take 10 steps away from this thing. <laughs> Dude, literally the same. Like, they're, they're uh, uh, as for, you know, we only just recently started getting together again, um, practicing and whatever. But, like, I remember there was times where... Uh, you know, we bring up even old records or something, you know, so, and like someone like Clayton will be like, oh, man, I have to revisit the record. I haven't listened to that thing since it came out. And I'm just like, oh, man, I've listened to it a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, and, and it, you know, it's again, yeah, it's like, you know, I'm proud of it. And, and I'm still kind of discovering things about it that maybe I didn't notice originally, things like that. Absolutely. And, and when I'm in when I don't know if you're the same, but when I'm in the middle of making something new, there will be times throughout the process where I'll go and kind of reference in a way, you know, I like, like, uh, or, or like for me, a lot of it's lyrics. So I'll go back and I'll read old lyrics, you know, and yeah. I'll, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll be like, Oh, and I'll, and I'll remind myself of like what I like. And then I'll clearly see the things that I don't. Of course, that's like the first thing you see, you know? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I'm like you, I'm always kind of reflecting and enjoying and learning from. Yeah. Something mm. you said mo- uh, moments ago, which has been kind of also a, a topic within, with us and, and it's come up a little bit too, uh, a couple of times on this podcast, which is really interesting is that, which we might be seeing with this year that we all had to take off. Right. So like, there's a lot of people who put out records last year and mm-hmm. didn't know what to do because they had so much time off where you start talking to each other about like, should we be writing? Should, you know, it's like already thinking about the next record when you yeah. haven't even been able to tour yet and yes. experience this record. So like how you just mentioned, um, touring on roads to Judah is what taught you how to make sunbather because you've, yes. you lived within roads to Judah. Whereas like, that's a fear that I have for some of these bands that might already be, going to the studio sooner than maybe they, I don't want to say should, by all means, if you want to make music, go make music. But like, there's a growth that still needs to happen because you still need to experience the record that you made. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I I find that, of course, we become most familiar with our songs on the road and, and that is the catalyst to, to changing whatever up that we decide needs to be changed. 
I imagine that if if we were in that position, we would probably end up writing uh, an album that that mimicked the previous one. Totally. Um, because you you have it, your environment hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's, you know? it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It um, is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could, I actually want to talk to you about the new record before I let you go. Um, you guys have been sitting on this record even for a real long time, right? Like, when did you actually finish it? Yeah, yeah, I get the longest that we've ever had to sit on a record, certainly. Um, it was finished in, like, November, and it's yeah. coming in August. I think for, like, your average bigger artist who waits like minimum a year you know before announcement that's like not a big deal but in like our world you know like let's like we pump shit out (laughs) yeah for (laughs) real but it's funny you say that but like i feel like times are changing now because people don't like big pop artists don't necessarily give a shit about physical products so all of a sudden it's like someone will just be like oh i'm dropping a record next week and you're just like yeah that's fair Um, that's fair but yeah i guess we don't know how long that record had been done though that's fair um the, because yeah, I think you sent me. I heard the record. It's, I mean, it's been. I've been lucky enough to. It's, it's. Let me tell you, it's the only record that I have on my phone. <laughs> so every time I start my car, um, a song comes on, and it's always uh, "Great Mass." That's the. That's like. Is like, it the I, alphabetical? Yes. So that's yeah. the first. That's the first track that comes on. Um, and I've already told you this. I mean, it's it's my favorite record that that you guys have done, and I've followed the band since the fucking demo, obviously. Um, but this, it's I don't know. I, I I could probably just embarrass both of us by me telling you how much I, I I really am excited about it, and how much I cannot wait to see it live, and and all of these sorts of things. But um, I was curious what it was like stepping. Um, into a different producer situation because I don't know. I'm sure it's been talked about maybe in an article now and def- certainly as it gets closer. Um, but you guys went to, uh, does he go by JMJ or is, do we call him Justin uh, Med- Medell Johnson? Is that how you say it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Justin Medell Johnson. Um, yeah, J- JMJ is cool. Uh, I, I, lo- I love JMJ. I think it's a. Because, um, yo, I remember I want him when. to be JMJ. When we. Uh, when we played the Dead Horse show in 2019, these conversations were starting to happen, I think, with, with him. Because you were telling me about it at that show, I think, where you're like, yeah, it's like we're going to someone who's like, he's like, does a lot of like indie pop stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, and me knowing you and the guys as well as I do, like, it makes sense to me where I'm like, sure, it's like, yeah, it's a little, I'm sure it's a lot of those sounds that make sense with what you guys do. But I was still under the impression that it was still going to be like a heavy ass metal record, you know? <laughs> so I was like, well, what's that going to be like? Did you have an idea beforehand um, what you guys were going to be making? Like, did you know that was the plan set? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was, it's really funny because he also thought that we were going to make a record like that. Oh, okay. Um, so Justin, uh, I guess, I guess quickly to, to, to explain this, um, Carrie was in a writing session with Justin. Justin was producing for another artist, which needed a kind of dreamy guitar part. Um, and through a friend, Carrie was asked to come in and to Justin's studio and try and fulfill this need. And so they kind of hit it off. Um, Justin happened to be a Deaf Heaven fan. Um, 
which Carrie told me, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, this older producer guy, yeah, I'm sure he's a fan, yada, yada. And then I met him um, at Nine Inch Nails, did that series of shows at the Hollywood Palladium. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met him there because he had done some time in Nails. And uh, he came up to me and was like, you know, you, are you the singer of Deaf Heaven? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know Carrie? And he was like, yes. And I, we were like, we should grab dinner sometime. And so we did. And he ended up absolutely being a fan. He knew so much about the band. I was kind of flabbergasted by it a bit. And yeah, because, I mean, for, for people listening, this this man is written with and played in so many bands. I mean, ranging from the 90s with, like, Tori Amos, obviously Beck, yeah, Nine Inch Nails. Like, he's been a part of a lot of pretty monumental things. So, yeah, I know what you're saying when someone's like, yeah, I'm a fan. You're just like, okay. But then to have this guy actually know shit and be a fan, that's something special. Yes, yes. I thought the same thing. And I was like, I was like, this doesn't happen to me. Things like this don't, don't happen to us. Right. So, so like, like there, like we have like, like maybe there's something here and we had already been having the conversation about trying to expand the vocal because all of the riffs that Shiv and Carrie were presenting, um, we were loving, but they weren't metal and they weren't fast. And, um, and even on our tour, I think we were, we were sound checking with one Lament for Wasps, um, which is the most ordinary, corrupt sounding song. It was the first one that we wrote for this record. And, and we were like, you know, this needs something different. So at the time, I was kind of like one foot in, one foot out, you know, like, you know, I've never done this before. Not only have I not sang, but I've never written melodically, you know, I've never, it's such a different ball game changing your lyric style, making sure things fit, trying to create hooks, trying to things for things to make sense. You know, this it's not, and, and to bring confidence into it. It's not just like, I need to learn how to sing, you know, it's, I need to learn how to inhabit this space in a way that makes it seem like we've been doing this the entire time. That's the objective. It's to not be awkward. It's, to, it's for people to hear it and be like, oh, well, if you were paying close enough attention, you would see that this makes sense. So yeah. that was kind of the MO. And because that was the MO, I was very afraid of full commitment. And then when we met him and we had this discussion over dinner, I was just kind of plainly like, look, <laughs> like we can't offer you <laughs> like anything that other artists can offer you. Um, our budgets, et cetera, are totally different. To me, you seem like working with a guy that's just in, in a very different world than we are. And like, I appreciate your interests. Um, and you can totally say no, but would you ever consider it? You know? And he was like, absolutely. Let's just, let's do it. I don't care about the details. Um, like we'll, we'll work it out and I'll make it work for you. And and I was like, okay, cool. I want to sing. <laughs> he was like, he was like, he was like, he was like, ah, he was like, no blast beats. That's literally, in fact, our, our, our group chat with the band and him is, will there be blast beats? Because <laughs> the, every, every new song that we wrote to, to show him, he would be like, uh, uh, oh no, oh no oh. blast. All right. Okay, cool. 
of course, jokingly, and he was like, he was like, oh, you, you know, you're coming to me because you want to make a pop record, yada yada. And it was kind of like an ongoing funny thing. Um, but but like we did, we wanted his expertise, um, of which he has tons, and he was ultimately extremely crucial into in in making this album in in so in making us perform and feel like we had always been doing it yeah. you know he really understood that idea that we had to what what I what I called it was replacing speed with density you know like every part had to be full and and there had to be some kind of hook or some kind of melody and we really wanted to like pack these things in and, and he has a great ear for that and Anyway, it, it was cool. It was cool. It was, it was really enjoyable. Yeah. And man, let me tell you, I commend the hell out of you with how great your vocals sound. Because you and I had had plenty of conversations about really stepping away from what we're used to and trying to sing and, and getting comfortable in those shoes and stuff. And so I got to tell you, the amount that we, you and I talked about it, when I when you sent me the record, I was like, I put it on and I was a little like, all right, let's let's. Come on, George. Let's see how we get. Let's see how we did. Let's see how we did. And as soon as it started, I was like, "Fuck this guy! Come on, are you kidding me right now? He sounds so good. You sound. It sounds so. Con- and I think it's what you're saying. It's like, it's. I think you achieved what you're describing. Where it does sound like something you've been doing your entire life. It doesn't sound like you're trying to hit notes. It doesn't sound like you're coached through notes. It doesn't sound like you're. Um, you know, that it's like tuned or, or anything like that. It sounds incredibly natural, which even if maybe you were coached through notes, which I, I, I certainly am often, uh, especially yeah. during pre-pro, you know, cause mm-hmm. I'm not used to this world. Oh, I don't know course, what I'm course. doing. Um, but I got to tell you, man, it's, it's, it's so enjoyable. I I'm obsessed with this record. It's definitely my favorite record of the year that I've heard so far. So, Damn, man. Thank you yeah. so much. Uh, <laughs> sincerely, uh, you know, I, like when we when we announced Great Mass and, and you had called me. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I reflected to those listening. Jeremy called me uh, when we released the song. It's it's such a sweet thing for you to do. It's crazy. I was in the car with with my girlfriend and we were both like, man, this fucking guy. <laughs> uh, uh, just like it's so kind um, and it did it, it it made me reflect on our conversations um, because you took the plunge before me uh, you know if we're going to call it that um, in this this attempt to widen your own sound to to kind of prove at least this is how I was feeling a large amount of the time, which was like an old dog can still have new tricks. Like I'm not done. We've been doing this for 10 years. You know, that to me is crazy. And I'm not willing to believe that we've hit our creative peak. Like I'm just not, um, I don't feel that way internally. Um, there's so many new bands and there's so many people constantly having new ideas and cool shit going on. And, and for me, I'm just like, I just want to be part of that. You know, I just, I don't, I want, I want people to view me as the same way. Um, 
I also and, wanted to ask you if you felt like because because a big thing for me and you sing way more. You're you're, you're making me sound like I'm 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 in your I'm in your shoes. I I I've, I dabble and I and, and dabble <laughs> dabble is a, a strong word. Um, but but yes, I did attempt on um, some records and then even when I did them live, I I never really felt. There's a few songs off this. There's we have a song called Benediction, which. I was on stage four that like we don't really play live that often just because yeah. whenever I whenever I'd see videos back of the live performance I'd be like oh my god I'm so out of key what am I doing you know and that would stress yeah. me out so I never allowed but you um I mean talk with you it's like you it sounds like you've done a lot of work whereas like I admit that I I just I felt too confident like I, maybe I was afraid to do the work I don't know I still have a lot of growing I need to do in that department yeah um, dude I'm no, sorry. No, I don't want to interrupt. Uh, but no, it's it's terrifying, and it yeah. and and it is so much work. And and there were absolutely times where I was feeling the stress of being able to perform these things because that was that's the other thing is you have to be able to do it, you know. And right, and we've like we've kind of developed that side, and we have like in ears and stuff like that now, and it's very helpful. I'm getting used to this new kind of performing identity, but yeah, it's, it's extremely stressful. What, what, what I, what I like about and what I like about your singing and the inclusion of it and, and what, and what I've taken from you guys singing is this, this idea of density and this idea of variety, you know, I think that when when fans of aggressive music uh, when when they hear a singer switch to like a, a traditional style and it's kind of singular, you know, I think that is part of the reason why people don't get into it as much. It doesn't it doesn't seem like it has as much effort. Whereas like like with you like. Like you have like flowers of you, right? And that's it's like a melodic like yell, and then you have like skyscraper, which is like a Leonard Cohen ish thing. You have like reminders, you know, that which is like even more melodic. You have these like different varying things, and that was something that I was really conscious of also, which is like I wanted to have like a melodic yell. I was like, so, make sure you land that, and make sure you land like a deep voiced. Either like I do like like whispering and stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah, like yeah. I wanted there had to be different characters to fill in the space that I knew the listener would feel like would to fill in the void the listener might be feeling from the lack of screaming. So there's sense? two things I wanted to want to say. One was what I was gonna get at originally was like uh, I wonder if you, it sounds like you were you were saying this at some point where it's like. I'm like you were saying, like, I'm a huge fan of the guys in my band and the music that they make. So like as a fan on the outside, I'm always just like, these guys keep getting better and better yes. and better. And I'm still just yelling. I'm still just yelling. <laughs> yes, like yeah. I, have, I have to start playing catch up and at least doing my part to grow with them as much as I can. So that was kind of a big motivator. Sounds like similar with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't want to be left behind. And I felt totally. like I felt like I was. Yeah. So there's so and, there's that aspect. And then also what I learned from trying to sing the first time in stage four, uh, I was like, went into writing lament and I was like, 
man, I really just had a rough time singing. I don't know if I'm going to really be singing much on this record. I kept saying that to the guys in my band. And then when I'd, then we're writing music and I'd come in with vocals and then I'd start screaming the song, but I'm screaming in a melody. And all the guys in the band, were, <laughs> all the guys in the band are like, dude, you're, you're singing more than you did on the last record, but you're just yelling. You're just like yell singing. Yes. And I was like, and I didn't, it just came naturally. It just happened, which is yeah. interesting. That's really wonderful. I love that. I, to me, that just is the the easiest sign of natural growth. Like this is you've you've taken a risk, and now you inhabit this space almost on a subconscious level, where you're just this is what's in, like emoting out of you. I, I feel like I will encounter the same thing, which is the moment we start writing again, I'm not going to be thinking in rasps. You know, like I'm not going to be thinking in, I'll be thinking in this new voice. Now, I don't know if that's how it's going to end up, but I've been, I've been in these shoes for such a a amount of time now that, yeah, yeah, you just inhabit this space. I think that's so cool. I think it shows, it just shows that you're not wrong about where you want to be, you know? True, true. Um, well, damn. I mean, I could we we could talk all day. I I'll uh, I'll wrap this conversation up with uh, actually I'll I'll just I need to interject and just say uh, one. It's so sick that um, I, I love that our bands have had such a close relationship, and obviously Nick Steinhardt is a big part of that and the work that he's done with you guys um, on so much of the artwork that you guys have done together. Like as a fan of Nick and you know just the all of you guys and stuff like I'm always excited when I know that you're making a new record and I get to like you know know the the gritty details and Nick is very secretive but not in a way where he's <laughs> hiding it but then you yeah, know yeah. like like I, I, Nick and I are so close um and especially so so close these days just with especially having to work so close together during a shutdown and all this sort of stuff so Nick and I talk like fucking multiple times a day and uh but so like when he was working on this record and he slowly started like telling me like what he's you know what the art was going to be and stuff and hearing it and then finally getting to see it it's it's so cool like i get to i'm a fan of your yours yours and his relationship like building art together and stuff it's really cool to see you know it doesn't even feel like he's like a member of my band at that point you know it's like yeah he feels like a member of your band almost in a way as like the art guy you know he he does no no i i, I it's it's funny you mentioned that um in, in, the, in the same way that you kind of talked about jack i feel that way with nick all the time i am talking to him more than I'm talking to the band about like social postings, like what time we're <laughs> announcing. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm yeah. and, and he'll be like, he'll be like, oh, I'm so excited. 10 a.m. tomorrow. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm excited too. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, so like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And of I course, wanted, I wanted um, to just work. I wanted to just work, made sure I worked, worked that into this podcast. Uh, no, th- that yeah, relationship. He, he deserves all the love in the world. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, all right. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I end up a show by asking, uh, do you remember the first time where you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards? Doing the thing. You know, I do. And, and for me, things, I'm sure you might feel the same way, Th- things always come back to shows. They are, they are the lifeblood of what we do. Um, they are the centerpiece to this entire experience. And for me, that was always the goal. And I remember in January of, I want to say January of 2011, Andy Rice booked our first 
uh, West Coast Northwest tour. And we played with this band, Owen Hart, who were from Tacoma. Yep. And yeah, and and not the best tour. I don't even like the bands didn't even particularly get along for whatever reason. We were only together a few days and and uh, and they were they were really nice. But, you know, you just you just both people just didn't know each other. We were like, oh, this is so weird. But I remember playing Olympia and we played this really small um, like storefront essentially that was just gutted and had nothing in it and just being like and and you know and and like Cascadian you know black metal or, or however you want to call it being such like a thing for us for so long that feeling like important and just that whole it was weird it was like the most bare bones tour we had ever done and have ever done but it was the first one that had been booked for us and no money or anything like that and you know the, the whole nine but I remember being like this is it like we I had like stopped going to school and 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 we had the really taken the plunge um and it was awesome and I don't know I, I just I just couldn't believe that someone had booked a tour for us it was yeah it was like magical you know uh and and half of it started out as like TBA dates, you know. It was like it was like it wasn't like it's funny. I, did, I think how we played with you. I think we played with you in Arizona on that because I think there was a show that was us, Def Heaven, and Owen Hart. It was. It was at Club Mesa, yeah. And, yeah, or, or Denial probably. Or, or the Nile, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then we played. We played together in April of that year. At the 418 project with Matt Surrey and Koala Cost. I yes, believe. we did. Oh, yes, we did. This is man. This is deep. This is deep. This yeah. is deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but that 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 whole that whole time, it was just it was such a. I was so wide eyed, man. I was like, my whole life is here, and it's yeah. beautiful. Love it. Love it. All right. Thank you so much, George. It was good hanging with you. Thank you. I really appreciate this. This is uh, this, this ruled. Hell yeah. And that is our show. Thank you so much to George Clark for being here. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear the bonus content, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon and subscribe. Also, if you have a sec to rate and review the podcast for Apple, that would be a huge help. And if you have not subscribed to the podcast on Apple or Spotify, that also does us quite a lot. And with that, I'll say goodbye. Take care of yourself. Have a nice week.